Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and open the beer bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, I can't do that, Nate. Uh, I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, by Sequel Arthur. to The Odyssey. It's Yes, and prequel to Space Oddity. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, they changed it up for the last one. Um, by Arthur C. Clarke, and starting with a beer. Nate, tell us about this. All right, so we have three very special beers today that are all a year old. I've been sitting in my closet because I ordered these aged back when... That's the proper way to age them is in a closet. So this like, beer is called Pastry Knots by Other Half and... Jay Wakefield and Bottle Logic and Moxa, as well as Horus, the Egyptian god. It is a imperial stout, naturally. Uh, that's fourteen percent alcohol, made with banana. Now, there's no commas, so I don't know if this is all one thing. It's one thing. Um, it says banana, molasses, marshmallow, astronaut ice cream. Oh, I so, yeah. It, each one of those is separate. Um, what the fuck does this have to do with anything, Nate? There are astronauts in this book. So, uh, and if they ate pastries, I think while they were in space, I think that would make them pastry knots. Anyway, I ordered this along with... That's what they call obese astronauts. <laughs> I ordered this along with several other stouts back during the lockdown of the pandemic when you could only order beer. And I ordered a case of beer from other half and they were like, oh, and the special add-on of several special stouts that I think they made for Pastry Town or, really, or not long after Pastry Town. I was like, oh, okay, I'll get those too. Why not? And literally they came to my house in a van. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had that. And I picked I... them up. It's pretty nice. I, I did get a, a, a delivery from other half at one point too, and it was also early quarantine, and it was before like I was very comfortable or like how to interact with humans, and so the guy came to my uh, driveway uh, with two cases of beer, like and, and like a couple four packs on top, and he's just like holding it, and I I wanted to to grab it from his hands, but like that was not what you're supposed to do, and he's like I'll just put it down here, but then my arms were stalled, so it looked like I was trying to hug him. <laughs> it was weird. I mean, I know you wanted to. I did. I was like, Thank you so much, beer man. <laughs> I only had a few hundred left. <laughs> How was I going to make it through the weekend? Um, so yeah, this is this is interesting. This is um, it tastes like bananas. Yeah, I get the bananas. I mean, molasses is just going to. It's certainly sweet. I've had several beers now that have had astronaut ice cream in them. And all it makes me think of is like field trips to the fucking Hall of Science where you'd get the freeze-dried ice cream. Yeah, it's not very good to begin with. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a little bit of a gimmick. Mmm, a nice chewy chalk. Yes, mmm. But you know what? When it floats in space, you can catch it easier. Like my stools. Uh, so it was... Depends on what you've been eating. Well, didn't you read uh, back, Backpacking for Mars or Packing for Mars where they talk about the astronauts there was with a the, floating turd, turd. the turd floating in... around in like Apollo... 12 or something that was a fudge packing from ours that's yes well they didn't pack it, it was, well it wasn't packed yes <laughs> and the they guy unpacked like, it <laughs> prematurely and because everything is um all of the you know transmissions are like public record and like documented like you can go read the record with the guy and like oh god whose is that <laughs> but it's like 1969 or 1970 so they're kind of like golly that's a sticky feller <laughs> that's a real whiz banger yeah gee. oh boy I'll be darned. Uh, anyway, so this beer's pretty good. I mean, I think... How uh, strong is this? 14%. Uh, it, it, this, is, this smells boozy. Taste it, too. It's very sweet. Well, yeah, I mean, all those things in there. 
I don't know why it took five breweries to make this. Did each guy just bring... They're like, find a thing that you have extra of in your pantry. This is the Captain Planet beer. Who, which, so, so which one is heart? Banana. Banana's the heart? Okay. Yeah. So um, this is good. Uh, Other Half does these all the time. Uh, they really are uh, aggressively brewing. And I think they're opening a new... I don't know if it'll be open by the time this comes out. They're, they're going to open another location in like Philadelphia. Like They are expanding fast they are quite popular so they're 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 going for it so the people they're thirsty <laughs> that they are so uh 2001 space odyssey is interesting first off did you guys read the introduction in the book where arthur c clark talks about i the did writing yes. of it? so he co-wrote it he actually really did co-write it with stanley kubrick and i don't it didn't really explain why stanley kubrick's name isn't on the book because he really probably deserves credit as an author as an author, but he didn't he didn't get it. But he did, of course, make the movie. So anyway, he has, Stanley Kubrick had just made uh, Doctor Strangelove, and that was in 1964, and that was a big hit. And so he was now like super famous. And so met up with Arthur C. Clarke, and they're like, "Yeah, let's let's write something. Let's write a movie about Except, space. Except yeah, about space." But then Stanley Kubrick goes, "Writing a screenplay is so tedious and boring. Let's have some fun and write the novel first. And then once we've got the novel down, we'll turn it into a screenplay and make the scre- and make the film at the same time. And so that's really how it how it became a thing. So on the book, it says it says by Arthur C. Clarke, but it's based on a, a screenplay by Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick. So he does get credit, but it's also the screenplay is loosely based on a couple of Arthur C. Clarke short stories. <laughs> So it's like he, several layers. He did mention that of, there's like a short story he wrote back in the 40s or something like that. That is very that is like the beginning, you could say, the tiny the, little the monkey part. Yeah. Which is like a quarter of the book. Kind of, yeah. So there's a little bit in a previous short story, but it, 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 it's largely a, it's it a couple of different short stories, but original. But it's an it's a novelization of a screenplay that's adapted from several short stories. That's that's it's, a first for us. It's the novelization of Precious based on the movie Push. It's the audiobook Sa- of the novelization yeah. <laughs> of Precious based on the book uh, Push by Sapphire. I was, I was still under the impression that they were really writing the book more or less first or started that first, and yeah. then the screenplay was being worked on at the same time. I think the process was roughly... He's actually wrote an, he wrote an entire book just about making this book. So that's even more interesting. <laughs> oh the, the doc, and, and then there's a documentary based on that book. They based really on milked the, this. And then uh, there's an audio book. Yes. There's a novelization of the documentary <laughs> based on the... Yeah. But I think the process was roughly like they brainstormed ideas and Arthur C. Clarke did the actual writing part of it. And they'd get to points of like, what should happen here? And according to Clarke and pretty much anyone else who ever dealt with him, Kubrick was just like a brilliant guy, but just fucking weird as hell. Yeah. And... And Arthur C. Clarke really was a hard science fiction writer. And this is definitely an example of hard sci-fi. Oh, absolutely. And though a lot more accessible than like modern hard sci-fi for the average reader, I would think. I'd say it's firm it's, sci-fi. It's, it's, uh, it's not flaccid sci-fi, but it's... It's, it's half chub. It's girth. It's, 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 uh, it's veiny. But the, you know, they would get into debates about like fucking math theory and shit like that. Like they're just, just nerding out. And uh, sounds like my people. Yeah, it sounds like fun. <laughs> it sounds like the stuff we cut out of the podcast. <laughs> so the movie, it, the movie came out first in the book, but like we'll talk about the book primarily because it is considered a good sci-fi book on its own, even though it does have a really interesting origin. And it starts with the first like almost quarter of the book is three million years before the present, 
with what they called the ape men, which must have been some sort of uh, Australopithecus. This was, uh, so when this book was being written, this was only a couple of years after the discovery of Lucy. Isn't it before Lucy? Wasn't Lucy in like 1970? Oh, I thought it it was the 60s. Hold on. Well, because they called it Lucy after the Beatles tune, which only came out in 1967, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Definitely came out in June 1967 because it's on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, 1974, you are correct. Mm. Mm. But there had been other ape men things discovered in Africa, like um, uh, Turkana Boy and shit like that. There had been like other famous... Specimen. Other hominid skeletons, yeah. though not as complete as Lucy would turn out to be. Or as hot. <laughs> 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 They're creepy. not even totally sure Lucy was female, but that's just what they called her. Did it matter? It was the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a, this is a time of... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little rough on my history of the theory of out of, the out-of-Africa theory, but like people are realizing that we are finding lots of evidence to support the idea that we... We descended from monkeys, as the as the Democrats want to teach your children. Um, <laughs> well, they were blessing the rains. It's, 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 <laughs> yes, they were. It's technically apes. I know. Anyway, continue. Um, <laughs> Just had to get that in there. Oh, totally. Um, one of my favorite quotes about about evolution and apes is Stephen Baldwin, esteemed evolutionary scholar, saying, "Evolution can't be true if we evolved from mon- how how can we have evolved from monkeys if monkeys are why are monkeys still here then?" <laughs> Like you know, I used to work at the zoo, and I heard people say that as they walked by, and we're like, "Oh, okay." Well, because okay. it's true, we didn't. We evolved with them. It's kind of like I'm not laughing at you; I'm laughing with you. <laughs> we evolved <laughs> with monkeys. We won. Uh, we did. Yes. They. They I mean they're much better at picking ticks out of each other's hair and stuff. But that's true. And every other battle Lyme disease. Humans like we do. could invent an amazing machine to do that better if we needed it. Didn't we have a, a shampoo Comb? that kills them? <laughs> yeah. Didn't you ever get like head checks in, in public school as a kid? Where they check yes. for lice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then they check for ticks. Once Lyme disease really gets out of control, that's when we'll battle the tick menace. Days are numbered ticks. <laughs> so people... Have, oh, they will win. <laughs> <laughs> we have no hope. We, we, have, we have possums. We'll just start breeding possums. Everyone will get a possum. Is that what they, they eat ticks? They eat ticks and they're impervious to many diseases. They're also disgusting looking. Like they're, really upsetting they're creatures. Fun. It's tail looks like it's them, an albino they, carrot. If you surprise them, they puke and then fall over and play dead. So do I. That's <laughs> wrong with that. Don't, don't, don't all the ladies do that? <laughs> so yeah, the evolution thing. Um, That's all my dates go. <laughs> you know, since since Dar- since Darwin's uh, the you know ascent of man or whatever, people have, have speculated, but it's only like in the 20th century that a lot more physical data becomes available to study in the form of of Skeletons. fossils, and, and people stopped yelling heretic at you. Yes, very few people. They, uh, less in they the shouted 70s it less. were burned, less. To, burned to the stake for talking about monkey uncles, but uh, so that's like a thing. And you know, part of what sci-fi does is sci-fi kind of responds to and often like kind of makes predictions based on the science of its time. And I'd say in many ways, this book gets a lot of that stuff it really does. right. So it starts with with uh, what's this one, like Moon Watcher? Is that the name? Moon Watcher. And it's got to be a song called that. It's Moon River. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> is it Moon Watcher? It's something like that. Yeah, something like moon, that. Moon, it's because so, he loves Moon Watcher, and they're... <laughs> well, they don't wear pants, so they must moon each other all the oh, time. He's like, yes, oh, Moon Watcher. What are you looking at? Take if a guess. If you don't ever wear pants, does it still count as mooning? Do you have to escalate? Do you have to show them the hole? That's the dark side <laughs> of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so the the apes or monkeys are described as like 
largely like mindless. Largely, I mean, they just almost like cannot comprehend like that each other they have like feelings or needs or anything like that, and they're pretty much just kind of like there on their own. And then and and borderline starving constantly. Yeah, just absolutely. They're in pretty rough shape. It's not an obelisk. And then this big stone, except not the monolith. That's what it's called. Then a monolith literally drifts down from space. And it's kind of like, I don't know, 10 feet tall. It's it, the dimensions of one by four by nine, which are the cubes of the first, no, the squares of the first three prime numbers. But anyway, um, that was an important part. So it's this, this monolith thing that just kind of like drifts down from space or just kind of like appears one day. And then Moonwatcher and his tribe, if you want to call it that, I guess, troop? Friends. Band? Yeah. Orchestra? Entourage? Posse? <laughs> Uh, they sort of gather around it, and it starts, like, doing things to them. It, like, zaps them. <laughs> it did things to them. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, zaps them, and then, like... Made them do things. Sort of, like, <laughs> it made them use tools. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but where did they put use the tools? <laughs> On uh, each other. <laughs> it sort of, like... It and, brain and fuckles them, though, for seriously. It does. And then it, it, it sort of, like, teaches them the concept of using tools and, like, having a little bit more brain i guess or using their brains better and And then yeah all sorts of other things like having fucking hand-eye coordination and (laughs) how to tie a knot yeah how to throw a rock at a target and so that the the, this particular troop of apes they get smarter and moon watcher he's the brilliant one he's the one with the idea that he can use the like club or like the bone to just beat the pig to death and then they can eat it and then they'll have tons of food and they can use it to fight off the jaguars, leopards, jaguars. What was it? Leopard. One of those leopards, big yeah. cats it was that snarf from uh, Thundercats. Though it is odd. Yes, it makes it easier. But a chimp can easily tear a pig's head off. Oh, they're incredibly strong. But this is not a chimp. These these things. A weak man. So the Australopithecines, which I'm assuming is what it is. That's what, what was like the dominant hominid species that we know the most of about three million years ago. This is a little bit later than Lucy's. That's about four million years ago. They are really slight. I mean, they're like three to four feet tall. They're maybe a hundred pounds at the heaviest. Mm. They're very it's gracile. Um, gracile. Is that how you pronounce that word? I don't know what that word like, is. It's like 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 a graceful. Like a, not graceful. Like a ballet dancer's body, like lithe. And, um, you know, they're, they're still partially perhaps arboreal. So they have to be able to climb up. three feet tall. That's like shrub uh, arboreal. Shrub arboreal. <laughs> um, but like that's, they probably climbed up into trees to sleep, uh, to avoid predators, etc. So they're, you know, they're bipedal, but they're not, uh, man, I remember a lot of anthropology. And they are... So they're small, like they're not as they're powerful not as a chimp. A chimp a is a much. We we we, di- we diverged from chimps about six or seven million years ago in our the branch, and uh, so we descended from the tiny tree baby men. That's the theory right now. Now uh, chimps actually use tools, so it's in reality. I mean, this is the, the the MacGuffin of the book is that the monolith gave 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 these monkeys these apes the you know the ability to use tools, but in reality. Uh, chimps do use tools. I mean, sometimes they beat stick, they beat things with with uh, sticks, sticks, and then they use little tiny like reeds or little yeah, long termites. things of grasses to get termites. So, so, so because chimps do this, it stands to reason that our 
most recent common ancestor between humans and chimpanzees probably did it too, unless it was invented entirely independently. Uh, and I think, I don't know if gorillas do, because gorillas just eat leaves, so you don't need tools to just like, yeah. hey, I found some leaves in the jungle. It's just not that hard to find. So they, they might not. <laughs> Pretty low a, effort a gorilla. gorilla. Yes. A gorilla in the mist, it's a little harder to it's find. It's why, you know, trying to teach gorillas um, sign language was like, I don't know why they bothered, because gorillas just aren't as smart. Because they don't need to be. They, it's not hard to find leaves in the jungle. Anyway. But then you wouldn't have that clip with Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Well, the, 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 they did hint later in the book that the monoliths appear to more than one thing. And a lot of it doesn't work out. So they yeah. teach these various species around the universe. And some of them evolve to do better. And some just stay as shitty chimps. And so these chimps, though, they become really smart and they stop being hungry. But then there's also like the shitty other troop. I forgot what that one's One ear. One ear. Friend of Left Eye uh, from TSA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and he's just a dick. He just stands at the... He does the equivalent of yelling, get off my lawn, but in a three million year old monkey speak because he just like yells on the other side of the bank of the river. And he's like, ah! And they're, <laughs> they're like, oh, fuck, it's old man one ear. And uh, then they like ring and run his, his cave. <laughs> uh, but they, <laughs> he's a dick. And then they eventually kill the, the cat. I forget what it was. The leopard cheetah thing. That... It really wants to eat them, which there's evidence that some primitive large cats ate um, hominids. There's also evidence that hominids ate each other. Um, and fucked each other, but, you know, well, that, that, different that's, story. That's, different book. Well, that's, that's how we got here. But there's, I don't know if that was like their main prey was eating uh, monkey people. But in the book, whatever, they do. And they eventually kill it. And they're like, holy shit, we killed that thing. And then they like take its head and put it on a stick. And yeah, they get to symbolism real fast. It, they start. It's like Lord of the Flies. Like they have the, <laughs> the head on the stick thing, and then he just beats the shit out of one ear with it. End of scene. And then there's all of three paragraphs covering the next three million years of history, where it's like those monkeys evolved, and then they learned to use uh, bronze, and then iron, and then they invented nuclear missiles and here we are and it's 1960 and it's the year 2001 just as the rough you know the rough chronology there yeah it's cliff notes version including the the myth that you all know, all tool use goes from like stone to bronze to you know iron to bronze etc that's mm-hmm. that was totally fabricated in the 1800s by a danish guy it's what made, have they ever done to make breakfast yeah oh yeah callback <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so then it gets to the the the, the future, two thousand and one, where people have Furbies and camera phones, and <laughs> the uh, and interplanetary travel. Oh no! Almost, we're getting there. Well, at least they were in the book. They were sending people to. Well, they have Mars. They have Mars colonies, right? The version I read didn't have an introduction about the writing of it, but they had a he had a postscript that he wrote. Like uh, it's. 20 years later, and I'm writing to see how this book went, and, you know, if we, we're not going to make it to Mars by 2001. We're not going to make it to Interplanet. It's not going to happen. Maybe if we had, you know, not blown all our money on Vietnam and shit, we could do it, but uh, I guess we just had different priorities. Bummer. I don't have to disagree with him. I don't think even if he didn't fight, spend any money on any wars after <laughs> World War II, we still wouldn't be there. Probably not. It was, it was an ambitious goal. Well, he wrote this before they went to the moon. It was, yeah, so it was the year before. Yeah. And everyone, even then, they were like, I don't know if that's going to happen. 
I guess they figured, like, we could do this in a year. In 40 years, what the fuck could we do? We could the, do anything. The last guy who said that, his head exploded. <laughs> so, what? It's Kennedy. He said, we're going to send uh, a man yeah. to the moon. Like, and everyone knows that that's a conspiracy. His head just did that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it just, he, <laughs> held, he held in a sneeze, and that's what happens. <laughs> and he farted at the same time. That's what he, he tried to sneeze with his eyes open. <laughs> his head exploded. He spit in God's face, and he wouldn't allow it. <laughs> And somehow John Connolly sitting right next to him also also did it at the same time. Isn't that amazing? It was it was a very hard piece of projectile brain matter. Someone threw someone threw pepper at the car. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Okay, so part so part two, uh, a doctor is Doc- on the Doctor Haywood Jablomi. Yeah, is on a <laughs> the equivalent of an airliner, except it's a space liner to the moon, star liner to the moon, and. He's going to like the moon base. Would you no, say he's going to deep orbit? Oh, <laughs> yes. I would. This is deep orbit Sigma Draconis. Oh, that's a spell from Harry Potter, probably. Uh, and this is also actually they're both called that. Well, they're yeah. They have a whole. There's a whole series. But they're made in, with different materials. I had I had one of these recently. I didn't. I should have saved it. I didn't realize that yeah, you were bringing deep orbit beers. I thought they were all pastrynauts. But I had a deep orbit something the other day. Um, this is from Other Half, and they, this is a recurring series they do, which is an imperial stat where they add some ungodly, unnecessary dessert item. And this one is with peanut butter cups, Ooh. coming in at a modest 16% alcohol. That's my favorite candy. When's this episode coming out? Like years from now. <laughs> a year, yeah. All right, on this I mean, we could always seasonally or about. unseasonally hot day. Nice hot peanut butter cup. At a, at it a, might be next summer at this point. It might be. At a very respectable hour to be drinking. That smells like... Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But also, there's like a hint of something whiny in there. Like, and this is the boozy smell. It does have a kind of a whiny taste. It's like, meh. This is also... And peanut butter. Been sitting in my closet for a year, so... Aged <laughs> properly... That's how I age peanut butter cups, Take too. that guy on Reddit I argued with about aging beers. <laughs> if you sit in a closet long enough, it gets, it's fine. He's not repressing anything. It's, it smells better than it tastes. Yeah, it's kind of fruity. That's, that's, and fruit and peanut butter don't mix. Except for jelly. <laughs> yeah, peanut butter and jelly. That's mainly taste. just sugar. Fruit, fruit and jelly <laughs> form. Yeah. It's uh, only a tiny bit peanut buttery, and that might be because it's... 16. Oh, over a year old now. Oh. Um, I had a peanut butter and jelly stout at a, at a bar oh once. Oh, the other one. It was pretty good. It was pretty goddamn it good. It could have been could have been better when it was fresh, but, you know, then I, I, blame, know. I blame the pandemic, so uh, that's I, why we didn't have it. I don't know how much it would have changed it. I, I, I don't, do you think if it, got, it was more, it more like, fruitier? No, no, if it was more of a peanut. More fruity, Jimmy. This is an educational podcast. More fruitier-ish. Uh, do you think the peanut butter left? Uh, there, like it I went somewhere. <laughs> That's the sort of flavor that could dissipate. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then just like the boozy, uh, you know, imperial stout base could have fruity flavors. Yeah. You get that in a lot of darker beers. Sometimes you get like, uh, you like know, a barley, dark fruit, barley wine. Um, sort of. Yeah. Uh, but you'll get you'll get like a stone fruit kind of flavor, dark, you know, cherries, plums, those kind of flavors you might get out of an imperial stout. So Hay- Haywood Haywood Floyd blow me is flying to space on a secret mission, and everyone's like, "What's up in space?" We hear there's a space pandemic, which is actually what the cover story is. Yeah, they have moon aids. Sounds believable to me. <laughs> He's like, "No, no, Rust, it's not moon aids." 
Though at one point they did a throwaway line. They're like, it's not anything like that mutated flu from 1998. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's that's a little little on the nose. Prescient. And so they're going to space, uh, to the moon, to investigate something that's been found. It's very secretive. And there's a whole lot of shit about just like what it's like on the moon base and what it's like to fly there, which is kind of cool and interesting because it, it kind of addresses some of the the like logistical challenges. Like even if we even if we like figure out a way to have like the infinite energy to just like send people to space all the time, like just the idea of like what is that space commercial space flight like? And it's kind of funny, like the 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 floor and ceiling of the capsule are Velcro. (laughs) So the stewardess is wearing like Velcro shoes and she's just walking around serving people like, you know, space Mai Tais or whatever they they have on their ships. That would be very loud. They're all in a Capri Sun bag though. Oh yeah. Everything is everything. And I like when they talk about the food, or maybe that's in the third part, but they talk about the food that could be in space. And it's like, you could pretty much have everything because they'll just put like a heavy gravy on it. The only (laughs) thing that's banned is hot soup. (laughs) Gravy is the only thing can withstand the lack of gravity. I think it was in the moon. It was on the moon where, or, or on the the moon base, the f- moon orbiting thing that had twenty five percent Earth gravity. So, like, if you just put enough gravy on it, it's fine. <laughs> Everyone there is obese. Though, so, fun fact: <laughs> sandwiches are in are banned from space, or at least banned from the space shuttle and it's space the station. Damn, well, the damn tortilla lobby. They don't like sandwiching the astronauts. They prefer Eiffel towers. <laughs> Sandwich is a sexual maneuver. Oh. Eiffel Tower is when someone's bent over in the middle and other people high-five over them. A sandwich is when it's just more like <laughs> pressed together. More of an active, aggressive passion. So a <laughs> Apollo astronaut, not Apollo 11, but an Apollo astronaut literally snuck a corned beef sandwich <laughs> onto the <laughs> Apollo capsule in his sleeve, literally up the sleeve of his spacesuit. Oh, and then yeah. like... Once they, because it actually only takes a couple minutes but to he get was, to orbit. But, but Once he took it out, like fifteen hours sitting in the, in the shuttle thing, like before they launch it. Uh, I don't know if it's that long, but it's a, in the early. I mean, back you ever read the right stuff where they just like they sit in the land in the you know doing all the checks. They're there for hours before they get launched in space in a hot well, ass it's, suit. It's, it's corned well, beef, so it's preserved. <laughs> it's pickled. So. He uh, anyway <laughs> finally got up to got up to orbit and he took it out of his sleeve. It's like, hey guys, look, I got this sandwich. But then it just like broke apart and there were crumbs everywhere. <laughs> and it's actually the crumbs that is a problem because they literally will drift around. They'll drift into your eyes because you know, unless you're wearing like goggles or something. And so. Literally, even to this day, not only did they not let that guy back in space again, but they, uh, even to this day, all astronaut food is like either like self-contained enough and there's very little bread. And even if it is bread, they cover it in sort of like a, a gelatiny thing so it doesn't just crumble into crumbs oh, and, and drift everywhere. Like French Gross. bread. But there's very little bread. They, almost everything is like bread-like is like tortillas. So maybe it was the tortilla lobby. Maybe it was right. them. I knew it. Only raps are allowed. Goddamn Mexicans <laughs> coming here to take our space jobs. <laughs> Taking away our American sandwiches. Which are tortillas. Anyway, so he gets to the moon, and they, like, literally, they, 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 it doesn't 
they he gets to the moon and they have like a secret meeting and they're like everyone's sworn to secrecy here and then they tell him and then it's like okay there's there's this weird thing we're gonna call it a monolith just because that sounds like a good name for it and we it's it was a magnetic anomaly and it's like clearly there's something very magnetic under there so we tried to dig it up and then we like had trouble so then we really we couldn't like we couldn't like take a sample because it just broke our equipment so then we dug up around it and it's definitely a this rectangular thing that is dimensions one by four by nine, which are the mm. squares of the first three prime numbers. And that's weird. Is and so one a prime number? It's not a prime number, you fucker. Technically, I've been corrected on this not. by people, and I'm always like, oh, fuck yourself. But now I'm going to do it to you. <laughs> but that's what it said in the book, though. It's the prime number in terms of ordinal. It's primo. <laughs> I mean, that is prime does mean number one. Number one. So, so it's, uh, the aliens are, are pedants. They are. <laughs> It's better than being pederists. That would be very We don't good. know that they're not. They have little monoliths that they put into <laughs> other places. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so they it's so the whole square, like ow. the whole team the including Dr. Haywood, they uh, get in spacesuits and then they walk over to the spot with the monolith and then they're like kind of walking around it and then it suddenly lets out this horrifying shriek. This electronic, like, radio signal shriek. And everyone is like, oh, my God, it's so loud. I'm going to die. And then it keeps going, but then eventually turns off. And then it's like, end of section. And it's like, wow, that sucked. Yeah, and I was like, did I imagine that? And you're like, oh, everyone else looks freaked out, too. Okay, good. I thought it was... They all took a big space selfie, though. Well, you got you to gotta take a picture of the, of the giant phallus on the moon. It's a space domino. Oh. It is kind of what it looks like, space yeah. Space domino. An intergalactic being... Lost its dominoes through space and was like, fuck, I'll never find those. Oh, I hope people in, don't ascribe in, in higher the, meaning to them. In the next section, it did say one of the games that the, that the people had to, you know, amuse themselves besides chess was, I think I called it polyominoes. Yeah, polyominoes. That's like thing. that. I have, I have oh, a that's real? That. It's, well, it's, it's, it's like just three-dimensional dominoes. It's where instead of using like a rectangular piece, you have either a triangle or uh, a square. So it has three or four. Oh, it doesn't, um, it doesn't go other directions no that would be really hard to just even read i mean that sounds like something in 1960s sci-fi that'd be like oh interdimensional dominoes <laughs> sounds like a star trek thing um, with their <laughs> yeah polyominoes is, is just like there was, there was a whole fad of that because dominoes became really popular in the 60s when uh, white people discovered brown people stuff <laughs> and so like, <laughs> none of it was discovered till the 60s definitely but there was a not. whole like it was like a whole thing like all of a sudden then like people in the states were started playing a shit ton of backgammon and dominoes and rock music and yeah and, and <laughs> what is this Re- reggae is that who it is? is that is, is that the singer's name it's very it's very tropical but uh, does dom- it mean king <laughs> <laughs> but they'd have uh Multiple pieces, so like there's different versions of the game. I have I have a set of quad dominoes that I bought because we play a lot of dominoes here, um, and uh, it's it's fucking really stupid to play those games. It's <laughs> terrible. It's much more fun to just play like have a higher count regular dominoes, like dominoes it's, double nine sets or double twelve sets or whatever. But it's still more fun yet to do domino rally. Oh yeah, that's that's the only reason. I mean, I just I play the dominoes to get to the domino rally. Yeah, that's, that's the best part. I'm using it. Uh, so it's then, like a racing game, right? No, that's the one where you line them all up and then you knock them over. Oh, yeah, it's okay. all it is. And, 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 and they made it easy. Like, you didn't even have to line that many up. Like, oh, yeah, the one where like, they built up and you just kind of flick them up. That yeah. was, oh, that was, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, cheating, I but that. I had that. Though, and it was, it was fine. It was yeah. fine. You could do, like, loops. It was impressive. Yeah, Domino Rally was pretty sweet. <laughs> um, that's what they were doing in space. Yep. <laughs> it's really hard with the anti-gravity stuff, but, you know. You have to just throw the dominoes at each other <laughs> and hope there's enough inertia or whatever to fucking do it. 
Sam, we get to the next part with Captain David Bowie. Which is the part that everyone knows. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen the movie recently, but I, I feel I like... Watched I watched it yesterday. I rewatched it yesterday, I feel like too. they don't have much of a Haywood chapter in the movie. They, it, is, it is basically exactly the book without the 70% of the book that's technical descriptions. Okay. I, just, I don't basically it happens exactly the same. The ending is different, though, right? Well, they also they no, go, the different, they go is, to a different the, planet. The ending, they go to a different planet, but the result is exactly the same. Okay, right, well, but yeah, the the Haywood part is in there. Oh, it, okay. I mean, the lines are slightly different, and the people there are different, but the the arc is exactly the same. Gotcha. Okay, so we get to the third part of the arc here, and it's with David Bowman, captain of the Discovery, and they're on a mission to to Jupiter, yeah. and uh, and they're going to go there to take pictures of shit. Right? Isn't that what they're, Take uh, pictures uh, of Jupiter. That's what, they're, Jupiter's that's moons. what they're told their mission is. And like they're, Ostensibly. They're in various... There's five people on the ship, and some of them are in like stasis. Hibernation. Yeah. Three of them are hibernating, and two guys are switching on and off. Just, just jacking Them it and their constantly. robot friend. Hal. Hal Sparks from <laughs> Queer as Folk. Like Hal Sparks? He's a guy, like, he was always on the, like, those VH1 panel shows. I have no idea who that is. Uh, he's some... Like, who he was. <laughs> is he dead? No, he's just not. Okay. <laughs> I was momentarily saddened by the death of this man. I have no idea who he is. Like, oh, is he dead? That's oh, sad. I, I mean, I could, like, oh, he I could be dead. I don't know who that is. I, think it's a, I don't think he's a... But they, Hal is... The Hal 9000 is the robot thing, um, which is sort of like the villain. Um, it's it's the thing that like runs the ship. Like The other guys are there as like a redundancy in case the Hal doesn't work properly. And... For many years, there was the myth that the name Hal came from just taking IBM and just shifting the letters like over no. one in the alphabet. <laughs> but Arthur C. Clarke vehemently denied that because it stands for something. It's like heuristic, asshole, learning machine. I forget what it stood for. Something like that. Close enough. That's pretty, that's def- I think heuristic, heuristic is, is in it. Uh, but it's, a, it's like a computer. It's an, art, it's an artificial intelligence that's supposed to be able to just you know, learn shit, kind of like the Terminator, and then uh, control all the things. But it's controlling, like, really basic functions that they really don't need an artificial intelligence to monitor. No. Like, it's monitoring, like, what's that guy's heart rate? And if it gets to a certain point, he's like, I better fix his heart rate. But it doesn't, instead of, like... That is a very simple algorithm, like, this numbered bad, this exactly. number good. You don't need a, you don't need the, you know, smarter than a human artificial intelligence to monitor that it, kind of that's thing. That's exactly what I was thinking when I, when I re-list, re-read it, I listened to it, but whatever. Well, all in the, yeah, all the stuff he's doing, but also it's revealed that he knows the secret mission, and right. they don't. They're going so to... I guess that's probably why they need an artificial thing they couldn't just have it like give them a readout when they got there like oh change of plans is what they do on submarines whereas like the the, you know they have secret orders that nobody actually opens until they're already at sea like that's not hard to do i think there's a whole tom clancy book about that there might be we might have read it we might already (laughs) have done published the episode in that yeah probably did yeah we did oh nice um years ago but so hal is the computer that's monitoring everything and it's like very cheerful you know, it's like, good morning, David. How's it hanging? Dave. He's very <laughs> Dave. informal. Yeah. Hey, hey Dave. Dave. Dave, I notice, I notice you've been masturbating a lot. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's very human. Uh, Just make like... sure to catch it all before it gets into my circuits in the anti-gravity. <laughs> <laughs> I you don't want like a space facial, Dave. Space facial. Ooh. 
That's that's something from a different it's a war kind of album. Book. That's. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like, hey Dave, you look like you could use a beer. He's like, I could. Open the beer's doors. What? No, no, no. <laughs> beer bay doors, Hal. <laughs> Mike. Uh, so, this is, uh, Nate, you brought this as well, Deep Orbit Cosmos Redshift. Oh, you know, they do mention the Russians in this. Uh, it's another half Imperial stat, this time with peanut butter and marshmallow. Also, it's 16% alcohol. Oh, dear God. Oh, that's, that's so much better than the last one. I will open my doors for this anytime. I'll open my Which back doors. Actually, I'll open my back pod door for this. I can actually smell the marshmallow. Yeah, this is intense. And I, I don't know when they add the marshmallow in the process because I feel like if you add it in the boiling process, it's just going to turn into sugar and you're not really going to notice it much. So it must be a, like a sort of like a dry hopping kind of thing. Like a secondary. Mm, this is nice. This is way better than the other one. This is this is delicious. I'll put uh, it does, in a better does position this, for you guys. Does this <laughs> prove that maybe the peanut butter? It, maybe it wasn't the aging, and that one's just not very good. Because this, you got them at the same time. Put them in the same place. I actually pretty sure I got this one first, and then that one is technically newer, but probably only by a couple months. Hmm. I think what it could they're be. They're both over a year old. So well, maybe it's not it's about the peanut difference. butter. Maybe it's about the chocolate. You know, the chocolate flavor might be the thing that kind of gets a little not so it hot leaves. after a while. Mm. There's I mean, so many stouts that taste like chocolate. They do. I remember there was a. They pastry stout at Pastry Town that was like super like roasted peanuts. It was so good. I was like, oh my God, where can I get more of this? And then the world ended, so I couldn't get more of it. <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't call it D's Nuts, then they really missed opportunity. Um, Nate, by the way, you followed none of the directions on this bottle. <laughs> it says, please keep cold and drink within six months. Nope. Didn't do either if one you, of those If things. you ignore both, it cancels out. Well, I mean, it was probably... No, it wasn't super hot in the closet. Or, no, no. just like Hal, Nate knew the real secret mission for this beer, and that's why he didn't follow it. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm going with that. That's what it was. <laughs> that's that. my story, and I'm sticking with it. So uh, Hal knows that the real mission is for them to like land on uh, fucking the moon Saturn. thing or something. Or so they're going, they're it was, it was well, the Saturn's Saturn, Saturn, moon Iapetus. But in, in the movie, it was Jupiter. It was one of the moons of, of Jupiter. No, they didn't even go to a moon. It was just like, we got to Jupiter, and suddenly crazy lights. Um, the, the, in, the, in the introduction to yeah. the 2001 reissue of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is definitely uh, the one that I read, he said that the reason why they did Jupiter in the movie is because Stanley Kubrick didn't like the prop department's uh, Saturn. They're like, that doesn't look good. That doesn't look like Saturn. So, I mean, it we'll really do serves, Jupiter instead. It serves no, there's no real reason it had to be Saturn. It's like, it ended no, up being no. exactly the same. Yeah. That is correct. Though, also, though, in the later books, they change it to Jupiter, I'm pretty sure. And there's like a reason for that. They follow the movie? Um, I don't remember the movie very well. I mean, I think. I mean, I, if, I, they, if they went to Jupiter, then they would be. Yeah, I think the they movie. just change it because. At the end, in the in the, in took the, the wrong second turn. book, I think it is in 2010, Jupiter turns into another star because oh. of the space aliens, and that allows man to go into more intergalactic kind of shit because they have this other like star to as a as a base that they could like use the moons there to like terraform or it's it's it gets it, the, they really get crappy fast. Okay, the, I, I don't I have no recollection of what the third one or fourth one are about. After reading this book, I realized how much like 
well, how how influential this book has been, and movie too. Like the movie Interstellar, it's like which yeah. was two thousand and two, huge Interstellar vibes. Especially because where do they go? They go to the fucking Saturn. That's where they're trying to go. Anyway, it was and they end up in a weird dimension, and and then the weird like yeah interdimensional thing, and yeah, it was it was quite similar. So the real mission is to go to Jupiter. Or Saturn, whatever the fuck. Well, they do, he don't find that out yet because he, he, he only finds that out after yeah, he doesn't know. his I feel like fight with Hal. Yeah. They're just... So anyway, so, so... Hal starts fucking shit up. Which, by the way, is a real danger of artificial intelligence because how do you make an artificial intelligence always obey? How do you both give it a goal and have it always obey the humans if what the humans want, suddenly the computer thinks uh, conflicts, with, conflicts with that goal? The three laws of robotics, man. Well, okay, as we, as we learned about Different in guy. our, our well, yeah. episode on iRobot by Isaac Asimov, the three laws of robotics don't work. In fact, that's really the point of that book. Anyway, go listen to that episode if you're more interested in that. But, Nate, um, Nate's has a really funny name in that one. <laughs> oh, was that the one? That was the first one. Oh, that God. was great. <laughs> oh, okay. Benjamin Nixon, <laughs> Ben to his friends. Uh, anyway, so that is a, that is a real problem. Um, in the other, this is the problem of, uh, this is called the alignment problem. It's like, how do we make the artificial intelligence goals match definitely with what humans want? And it is, that there's no solution to this problem right now. Like the a hypothetical, hypothetical situation where you tell a, um, tell a machine or an artificial intelligence to make, just make something simple like, postage stamps or paper clips, but because it's smarter than humans and is manipulative, manipulative and deceptive, it enslaves all humans in order to make paper clips and then turns all matter in the solar system into paper clips. It's like, see, I did it. Are you happy now? <laughs> and now all the humans are me, dead. <laughs> or even pedantic uh, robots. more frightening things like, you know, just tell it to calculate the digits of pi and then it enslaves humans to just build more servers to bigger more processors to <laughs> calculate more digits of pi when that's not even useful anyway yeah you don't need more than a handful really in most so, engineering problems <laughs> so in the mid 1960s or late 1960s uh, arthur c clark really is predicting an actual danger of artificial intelligence well the the problem here it, it falls apart because they really didn't need the artificial intelligence at all like they no. could have just had like a time lock on the on the real instructions. Like, ah, gotcha, punked. You actually have to do this. They're also in regular communication with them. Yeah, we could have just told them later. It's just it's just like a Hal's just like a really obnoxious Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> Hal Open starts the bay doors, opening your gay floors. <laughs> <laughs> so Hal reports that there's a problem with the like. T-34 unit. No, that's not what it's it's uh, number was. It's the T-84 plus. Uh... Yeah, TI-83 TI plus. <laughs> Texas Instruments is still going strong in the future. <laughs> um, and then it needs to be replaced, which requires, which is the one of the things that helps the, satel- that helps the satellite dish communicate back with Earth. So anyway, they one of the two awake astronauts goes out to replace it, and then they bring it back, and they're like, I can't find any problem with it. And they immediately start to think, though they don't say it out loud. There's something wrong with Hal. And Hal's like, no, everything is fine. Oh, wait, the new one is also breaking. You better go out there again. He won't even admit he was wrong in the first place. Like a typical no. man. <laughs> <laughs> Should have made it a lady AI. And then they, he's like, that one's broken too. 
and electric boogaloo. And then the uh, NASA <laughs> <laughs> NASA's like, just on, just turn it off and turn it on again. <laughs> it's fine. And actually, then NASA makes the recommendation. Like we think, we think Hal might be mistaken. You're gonna have to go. We need one of you to go and basically turn off Hal and go to full override or whatever the term is. I forget the actual name of the book. So they so anyway, send the they send the the astronaut, first astronaut out again to replace the second thing. But this time Hal like does send some command or some system that actually kills the astronaut yeah, and his pod. Whatever oh, his name yeah, is. They, they turn off the life support, I thought. He gets smushed with the uh with the the pod crashes into him or something like that. Oh, that's the out the outside the outside. Yeah, so that's guy. the first yeah, one. Yeah. That's the first one. Oh, yeah. So then Dave goes and Not is like, cool, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> Dave first like sees that he's dead. And so in the so what happens in the book is different than in the movie right here. What happens in the book is that Dave realizes Hal just killed Frank. And so I need to go and rescue and I need to go turn off Hal. I need to like go to the main computer unit thingy and just turn it off so he tries to but so then hal opens the pod bay doors and then which releases all the atmosphere and so uh dave gets kind of like sucked out because of the high winds which actually wouldn't be how that would work in real life but the vacuum of space thing. wouldn't just pull him out that's not in like every fucking sci-fi movie unless you are it is totally a trope in sci-fi movies but if you're right at the doors and the doors open, and all of the air is in front of you, pushing you out. Yeah, you would be heavy winds and heavy heavy wind, and you would get sucked out into space. But if you're on the back of the room, if you're like, if the doors are opening a long way away, there's no air moving. There's no air past you to move through and put and bring you along with it. So you hmm. would not actually be. You could just hold on to something and be fine for the sixty seconds of consciousness you have till you know. You freeze and suffocate. Yeah, exactly. So it would be very <laughs> bad, but you wouldn't immediately just get sucked out by hurricane force winds like it happens in every single, you know, sci-fi thing ever. Is it like that, that in planes too? Or just spaceships? Planes are a little bit different just because the air is going by the plane at 600 miles oh, an hour. Yeah, so like it, yeah. that is, the, it, it's, a, it's a different thing. I mean, both You're going both fast bad. in space, but there's no air to be going. Yeah. Okay. There's just less air to pull you along. Because they're talking about how they're like, we're going 80,000 miles an hour. It's like, that's fast. It, but it doesn't. They, could, it they could be sitting still, and if they open the pod bay doors, the exact same thing would happen. Okay. Anyway, so he manages to, uh, Dave manages to get into a sort of like a safety alcove thingy and manages to get into a space Like suit. those things on the side of the train tracks where like you could tuck in if you're... You know what on the train? Yeah. There's like those little mm-hmm. squares. Yeah. Where you can stand in case you get hit by, so you don't get by a train. Yeah. And it'll tickle your belly if you're chubs. <laughs> <laughs> tickle is one word. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's immediate liposuction is the other. That's, uh, sign me up. <laughs> oh, uh. So he gets, he gets into a little alcove thing and puts on a spacesuit and then manages to get in the spacesuit. Hal can't do anything to him anymore. So hell, he gets into the, the middle of the spaceship and rips out the... Processors or whatever the whatever thing yeah, runs the on tube. all the like hamster wheels that are just running with all this stuff. He managed little to pull it out space and space hamsters and little and, and little shuts seats. down Hal <laughs> and and shuts down Hal and so just then sawdust everywhere and so but the other hibernate asleep hibernating astronauts they get sucked out with uh, when the pod bay doors open and so they're dead. I mean they're dead obviously. Uh, and so Dave is there to run the rest of the spaceship. 
by himself all alone, which he manages to do, so clearly they didn't need Hal. Anyway, the movie portrays that a bit differently. This is where Dave goes out into the one of the open into the one of the pods to try and grab the other dead astronaut, and when he comes back in, Hal won't open the pod bay doors, and so Dave says, Open the pod bay doors, Hal, in that famous line. Not in the book. Yeah. The whole scene's not there. Not in the book. I'm sorry, I can't do that, Dave. Fucking yeah, exactly. busy. Anyway, I got so, other shit to do, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> do it yourself. So this next ne- next part of the book is you know just a, like a couple of pages of Dave like running the whole spaceship by himself, and then he finally learns what he finally learns like what their real mission is, which was to go to the to Saturn's moon Iapetus to check out this thing that which they think is the other second monolith. Because all all the radio signals went to there. That's where it beamed, yeah. From, yeah. from the moon domino. Anyway, I think that the whole like plot line of Hal malfunctioning kind of doesn't fit. I feel like the like, whole book is made of parts that don't fit. Yeah, I, I it's also like three random things. I, I was gonna, uh, I, I'm gonna agree with you when we get to the end. <laughs> but like this particular part, it was either like the Hal malfunctioning wasn't foreshadowed properly, or they didn't even mention a reason until after it happened, and. It was only like one sentence in it passing. So it was like, oh, because Hal had a conflict between, because he knew the secret mission, but the humans didn't. So that's why he did that, which I guess is a reason, but it just didn't feel good. It didn't feel like there was a reason why Hal was doing this. Another one, again, not very strongly made clearly, but part of it was like Hal felt his existence was threatened. Also, true. Like, also a real problem with real artificial and so intelligence. He's like, you can't turn me off, and and it's because Hal has no understanding of naps. Think of old butts. <laughs> what? I'm turned off. Oh. <laughs> That's the other book. But uh, I mean, they were still turned on by those. So yeah, they were. Hal, well, especially young butts. But Hal Hal does not have a concept of being asleep. So to be turned off is to kill him. But there is a mention in the beginning when they like introduce Hal, and it's like Hal is really good at controls the thermostat and 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 the, and the microwave, <laughs> and it never sleeps like that. There is a throwaway line that is not not enough to really foreshadow. It's just the only thing only thing you yeah. notice this second time through, or if you go back and like, why did that happen? It's not well ex- either explained or set up, or yeah. or set up as the conflict or a reason for that conflict. It's just kind of like. It, at the same time that it introduces you to the two astronauts on the spaceship, it's like, oh, and then there's Hal, who immediately starts being weird. It's kind of like, well... It didn't serve a purpose in the overall narrative. Well, it's just to add like, drama to this. Because Otherwise, it was the narrative is like, aliens give us monoliths every so often. <laughs> it's not really <laughs> yes. a great plot it doesn't. Itself. It doesn't really fit well. It doesn't fit with that like monolith thing. I feel like it could have been done well. It could have been a cool had it, had thing. Had it just like been set up plot-wise a little bit better. Like, if instead it was, we depend on Hal for everything, the ship is way too complicated, and then introduce some little weird thing that starts to cause the malfunctions, and then it's a fight between the astronauts and Hal to turn it off. And that, that could have been just set up a little bit better, and it would have been a better book. That could have been its own book. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure that is the concept of sci-fi. A bunch of other ones. So there's a whole lot of, there's a, there books. is a lot of sci-fi stuff about like a person who's on the broken <laughs> ship or something like that. And they have to figure it out like the entire plot of the Martian basically. 
Um, it's on a broken planet. But it's the same idea. Like, oh, he has to, like, mm-hmm. yeah. science the fuck out of everything. He has to shit on a potato for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Marky to sod. <laughs> and then um, then it also feels like the end uh, uh, uh Alien. An Alien, where the android malfunctions and the android tries to kill all of them. Yeah. Or tries to kill well, her. Well, the android has also been given, given, uh, been given a secret mission again. I don't remember the details of Alien. I haven't seen it in a very long time. But I know the, I know it tries to kill her. He's trying to preserve the alien for the evil oh, corporation. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. He's like, so, we want it. We're, you're all expendable. I want that thing. The Xenomorph. And so... Which is the scariest Power Ranger. Yes. <laughs> he, he turns into someone who's just really racist. He's <laughs> like, I hate, I hate them all. They're coming here to take our Get job. these fucking things off our planet. It's like, yeah, we fight them, dude. But what like, are they not cooking? for that it's... reason. That's not why we fight them. Like, yeah, they're fucking different. Like, no, that's not and it. That's not it, dude. Their food smells bad. I hate it. <laughs> they're taking our jobs, but too lazy to work at the same time. Look <laughs> at them praying to the wrong invisible man. Uh, but the xenomorph. Power Ranger. <laughs> his can, his can, sword is I, a big burning cross. Can we get a new Black Ranger up in here? Do we have to have this one? <laughs> can't he just be a swarthy can, Ranger? Can he, can't he be a bit lighter? Maybe make him, you know. You know, for the bench. Yellow Ranger, you're not subservient enough. <laughs> this is a really strange children's show. <laughs> and then just. Alpha's clearly a Jew. <laughs> he really was like, ay, ay, ay. Oh, God, Zordon. It was clearly like, it sounded like an old Jewish mother complaining. Like, like I love Lucy. I, I mean, every time I'm like, you have, it looked like you haven't eaten Bubala. And it would just give them a plate of, of matzo ball soup. I was like, this is, this is heavy handed. Uh, <laughs> so well, they are made of metal. Just like, <laughs> their hands would be very heavy, you're right? Yeah. <laughs> They're also like 100 feet tall, so, you know. Very heavy hands. So the, Alpha was regular sized. Yeah, Alpha was like the weird he robot, was like butler. Bro- robot butler in Zordon's lair. Very long time. Wait, this is still Power Rangers, right? Yeah, yeah. They, okay. they, had, they had the robot butler. I don't with even like, remember that had, like, at all. The, I, just remember, head. I just remember they turned from like their size to the big giant robot thing. Well, it's because yeah. they, what they did was they took an existing Japanese show oh, yeah. and they just kept that crap. And then they shot new stuff with American actors for the to not- do the dialogue. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Anything they're not in suits, they shot here. Anything in suits, they just lifted from the Japanese show and just as put well it in. as the Rita Repulsa shit, where she's like, after ten thousand years, I'm awake. That <laughs> old like woman, she was also from the Japanese show. Oh yeah, they just dubbed her, which yeah, is why her terribly. face never matched. Yeah. It's like her face must be very stiff from that nap. I don't know why it's her mouth's not moving the right way. <laughs> anyway, um. So, so then the book the starts mission. to become an acid trip. Oh, yeah. They're like, your secret mission is to check out this giant, big black domino. <laughs> the biggest, blackest domino <laughs> in space. And, uh, and then they go the through a BBD? bunch of... Yeah, <laughs> it's the BBD of all BBDs. And I got the sense that in this part, like when he's going through all the planets and all the moons and they're describing all the planets... Like, that would have been a lot cooler in 1968 or oh, whatever. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, yeah, we, we know this. It, that's the frozen pea planet that's made, <laughs> of, it's made of ammonia. So Voyager 
the spacecraft wasn't even launched until the 70s and didn't even make it till Saturn till like the mid 80s. So he was Slacker. way ahead of his time. And also some of the stuff that he described. Did they know that though? Was, Could they like look at Voyager it? Voyager does some of the did some of the same shit that he predicted. In Voyager this book. did the thing where they used the gravity of Jupiter to like yes. slingshot themselves even to get a huge uh, boost in speed, which like. Everything does that. Every every space probe. Actually, not, that's not true. The one that went to Pluto didn't do that. But anyway, the, every space probe does that now, where it like uses Jupiter because it's so huge to get more to get more speed. So they they did do that, just like they did in the book. But I mean, he wrote this in 1967, and that wasn't even in the you know uh, Voyager didn't even launch until the 70s, mid 70s, 78, something like that. I thought it was like the 90s. We sent two of the Star on, Trek on, Voyager. On, yeah. On, <laughs> on, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> what channel was that? I don't know. Uh, it was like UPN, was, wasn't it? UPN. UP, it was UPN. Yeah. yeah. Uh, August 20th, 1977. So the plot also, so what's actually the plot of the first Star Trek movie? No, Star Trek 2? Is that actually re- they, they, revolves around like. Wasn't that Khan? Voyager, the, you're right, it must be Star Trek 1, revolves around like in the future, some alien civilization found Voyager, the space probe. Anyway, that's a different story. It's not the whales one. That's the like whales four. one is four. Yeah. And that's when they use the sun's gravity to travel back in time. They slingshot around the sun and go back in time. And, and Spock is like, I think my math is right. I did it on the napkin. And they're like, we'll do it. Like, <laughs> that was a good movie. I'm sorry. That was a, that was oh, the good one. Oh, no, God. it wasn't. I was fucking the up. one with the whales? That was so dumb. You've seen how many movies that you need to see. That's it's, actually the only one I've seen. I've seen uh, Khan. Okay, well, Wrath the others of, are worse. <laughs> no, Wrath, really? That's what I'm comparing it Wrath to. Wrath of Khan is dog shit, but it's less. But Wrath of Khan is dog shit, but the fourth one, like Search for Whales or whatever, is whale shit. It's just <laughs> so much more upsetting. I, I think it's a hilarious concept, but then I can't believe they made a Star Trek movie out of it. It sounds like a Douglas Adams story. It does. <laughs> but it's with William Shatner automatically gives that Douglas Adams vibe a little bit. You know, just that this can't be serious vibe <laughs> just by having... But can I it. fuck that space whale? <laughs> <laughs> you wait, you needed to pause way longer between... Can I... Oh, he can't wait to fuck, fuck that, that space whale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they call it a blowhole for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this final part of the book, the Dave gets to Saturn... And sees like, yeah, there really is a big giant monolith of the same dimensions, one one by four by nine, on Iapetus. And he like goes down in one of the pods, although I don't call it a pod in the book, I don't think. And then he uh sort of was like, Okay, guys, and it's totally the plot of um Space Oddity by David Bowie, you know. I mean, it isn't. That was a joke. So anyway, so he like somehow goes into it's reverse, the monolith. floating in a tin can. Well, yeah. suddenly the monolith uh, warps time and space, and it's no longer standing up. It is inverted, and it becomes a tunnel, and he gets sucked into it. To another dimension. The prolapse uh, monolith <laughs> just all falls out. And like, oh, God. So he, he gets sucked into the space tunnel, and his last words that everyone in... Houston probably hears is like, oh fuck, that's a lot of that's a lot of fucking stars. (laughs) Holy shit, it's filled with stars. What what the fuck is that? Yeah, dude, you're in space. (laughs) He's like, no, so many, and then he just gets suctioned in, and his brain goes totally hypoxic, and he hallucinates for the last quarter of the book. Or does he hallucinate? No, he gets sucked into a space tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole into into space Newark. I can't find parking anywhere. All these <laughs> alien ships. Oh my god! What? 
Why are the odd-numbered gates next? They're, they should be on the opposite side of the even-numbered gates. This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. There's another fucking... Uh, oh, my God. What's that newsstand uh, with the books? Hudson News? Yeah. There's an, <laughs> that's like the eighth Hudson News I've passed here. Why are nuts $8? Oh, there's no line at the Wendy's. I better just pick up something to nosh on. <laughs> so he, like, is in a spaceship, and he sees these other, like, just spaceships just, like, Drifting around, they're parked. Yeah, they're parked, and one of some are like clearly like have been there for a really long time and are falling apart. They and can't find where they parked their car. <laughs> oh, I'm in lot D. <laughs> oh fuck! Very long. There's like one. Parking. There's like one ship where like clearly someone's just putting on their car alarm to find it. <laughs> like the, the, the little the key fob. There's like beep yeah. beep. God the damn guy, it! Oh, where, where is it? it? I, I can hear it. I think we're one floor up. Okay, in space, yeah. no one can hear you beep. <laughs> Uh, and so, oh, I've been fucking booted. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. How'd they find me here? Yeah, I couldn't find me here. So they. Uh, so then he, he's like drifting around the spaceships and then suddenly he's in a hotel. It's just kind of like, and now I'm in, in my spaceship. Well, he also passed in over a the, hotel room. the primordial ooze of the universe. Oh, yeah, that too. Pumping life come into a black <laughs> hole that's going to make a star. It's like, okay, sure. And he's seeing all kinds of like geometric design. It's like, it's like interstellar basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then he ends up in a, he ends up at a holiday inn in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. <laughs> Free continental breakfast. And he's like, I should, I got to stop drinking. <laughs> and he's like literally at a hotel, like on earth, or at least looks like it, except everything's a little bit off. All the food, are, it's full Except of blue oatmeal, it, which it, is good because it could have been full of blue waffles. It, oh, <laughs> no. Yes, I know what that is. <laughs> so anyway, uh, there, uh, everything is a little bit off, and I want to say it hints that so whoever... What's all these European plugs on the wall? <laughs> How am I going to charge my shit? I'm going to need an adapter. Um, <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel like it was hinting that... The aliens only knew what a hotel looked like from TV shows. Yeah. Because though it was because everything was off a little bit and nothing, everything, every label was like a little bit blurry. It didn't really say anything. Kind of um, like a really badly done Truman show. With right. somehow he opens a box and it's like some blue thing in it, but it was supposed to be <laughs> Frosted Flakes. Or it was like, it was, was like, he said it was like a blue Yorkshire pudding. So like he could eat it and it was fine and he was hungry and he could breathe. He was amazed about that. But he was very confused how he ended up in a, at a Super 8 <laughs> outside of Trenton. And then somehow it gets weirder. And I'm not Housekeeping even... Housekeeping shows up. <laughs> I'm not even sure I understand what happens. Uh, you don't get that he turned, into a, like he, turned, he turned into an energy baby? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't okay. get that? <laughs> no, I mean, that part I got is why and how... Oh, you're not, you're really not, really you're not allowed about, to know that part. Really confused. So suddenly, he, like, energy takes over his brain, and then he's a baby, but then he's, like, a super smart energy space baby, baby <laughs> that, like, somehow transcends space and time, and then the last... The Star Child. Scene, from Star Child. Yes, yeah, Star oh, not Child. not from Kiss? Uh, it, it could be from Kiss. It, what is, what is it? Star Lord is Star Lord. Yeah. Star Child is Kiss. Yeah, it's uh, Paul, uh, Paul Stanley, right? Yeah. Uh, he becomes Paul Stanley. He's like, I really <laughs> wanted Paul to be a, I wanted to be the cat. And he's like, now I get why I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and he just wants to rock and roll all night and party every day. Party some of the time. He, <laughs> <laughs> and then he becomes this Rest like energy space baby star child. And then he somehow 
transcends space and time and is gazing upon Earth and scene. And he, like, <laughs> that, blows that, it book. Up. Yeah, in the book, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he, like, blow up a nuclear warhead or something? Oh, he, he, may, he does he, some he, big uh, explosion he, thing. Yeah, that's right. He, um, he detonates a nuclear weapon that was being held in space as, like, a threat. Like, oh, they, they're not going to be able to use these. Poof. <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, Dr. Manhattan or whatever yeah, his name was. Yeah, kind of like, uh, you don't need Washington. these anymore. I am better than I'm you. I'm a space baby. <laughs> goo goo. It's time for my fucking nap. <laughs> well, there was that one I made one like non sequitur chapter in a. <laughs> <laughs> is it hailing shit? Oh, I got it. It's space poop. <laughs> that asteroid is really brown. <laughs> very runny. It's like he's just been having milk. It's like in, uh, was it Joe Dirt when he thinks he's got an asteroid, but it's just, it's just a frozen it's airplane it's shitball? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Joe Dirt made more sense than the end of this book. Oh, yeah. Joe Dirt makes yeah. sense the whole way through, actually. Because there, we, there was a, a throwaway chapter, in a, a non-sequitur chapter in a series of non-sequitur book uh, with the, the creators of the monoliths were these space... I guess space babies grown up, like energy beings. Space men. <laughs> there they, they transcended bodily form and they were just energy. And they sent these monoliths out to like, you know, like, so let's see what we can evolve, you know, like, let's see what happens. And so they just are out there uh, just fingering the primordial ooze on various planets <laughs> until like, see what happens and just for fun. And, and then he became a space baby at the end and joined these transcendent energy beings. And that's yeah. how it ends. And it's like, oh, okay. So Thanks. It, it really art. does not feel like a good like it, character arc or story arc ending. I it mean, just sort of like three different arcs in it. It just sort of like dumb. ends with something random. It feels like a '60s sci-fi book, like when they try to get oh, all heady. This, this and is like, more random oh, hey, than usual, though. But like it, it reminds like the idea of having like a bunch of like patched together stories. That's like sci-fi all the way in the '60s and before. Mm-hmm. But it, having like had a, a, had a, a deep ending. That's also very popular no, that's in Deep Space Nine. Deep, well, <laughs> Deep Space Nine inches. Uh, but this is, you know, they just have. That's what a lot of '60s sci-fi books felt like. They they want to be deep and philosophical because they're like addressing the big questions of the universe, and then the answers they give are terrible. And a mysterious ending, I guess. And it doesn't something you could debate. I mean, I mean, Kubrick was, in, was you know a strange filmmaker, so he definitely dug the idea of mm-hmm. having an an ambiguous ending. A fuck you ending. I mean, yeah, it is a little bit of a fucking ending. It's even weirder in the in the in the movie because there's no exposition, like of what's going on. It's all the dialogue and all the parts where they explain what's going on is just silent. Yeah, there's no music. There's no music. It's just dead silence of these weird shots that go on for so long because yeah. it's just that's the way Kubrick liked to make movies. And it, I, I and, mean, it worked as an aesthetic, but it didn't make a lot of sense. You would think that a Master storyteller like Kubrick would realize, like, you could just set up the plot a little bit better, have a little bit more explanation in the beginning, or at least co- sort of like hinting at the beginning of the book that we're going to find the an- the answer to the monoliths, and that's really what the whole thing is about, and it's going to be explained a little bit better rather than just the one astronaut that makes it there becomes a giant space baby. The end. Also, in the movie, he like watches himself age rapidly. Yeah, he becomes old, and then he becomes old, and then he becomes a space baby. 
He sheds his As you uh, do. mortal uh, husk. Also, his motel in the movie is much nicer. Much, much nicer, yeah. It's like a, like a it's castle. Like a Versailles. Yeah. yeah. They don't have like Space a... Versailles, because there's got <laughs> lighted disco floors. But yeah, lighted floors. I was like... I mean, the budget for sets on that movie must have been how did astronomical. The, I have, how did they shoot all the space stuff? Because I know like Star Wars was like 10 years later. They, it was and they invented a lot of stuff. I mean, the, these special effects in 2000 in the film were very impressive. I'm sure at the time it was fucking mind-blowing. Yeah, it must have cost Who, a lot. So this is what I'm going to disagree with you for what you said a minute ago, Nate. I don't know if Kubrick is a master storyteller. Yeah, that's the problem. He's a story He's a master implier. filmmaker, debatably. Because mm-hmm. film is a different genre than telling a story in, a, in and of itself. His focus was much more on like the visual thing. And I also think having watched, I think, almost all of his movies, I don't think he's the kind of guy that wants to make it easy for you. No. Nope. So he doesn't give a shit. No, I think he he, he definitely wants to produce something and produce he doesn't give a, a shit if you effect. understand it. But he, like you have to work for it. He wants to make art. Yeah, but he's not super pretentious. Where it's just fucking you know black and white images of like cowboys eating pudding while they fuck a horse. <laughs> but like it's you know it's not like that pretentious. But yeah. but it has it, a little bit more plot than that. It's but it's it is a little more just a little a little yeah, more um, you know highbrow. Uh, than the average film of its time, for sure. And even today. like, And also, he's making films. People had clearly a different level of patience than... Oh, yeah. I mean, all movies back... Like, have you ever... We talked I mean, about it's, it's kind of not fair to be really critical of the slow pace of the movie because that's how movies were made. And I think my feeling is that Stanley Kubrick was making movies even slower than the general pace of movies at Absolutely. the time. He was yes. far and so beyond. It's, yeah. But it's still kind of not fair because movies were just paced a lot slower. Or more like today, movies are paced so fucking fast that it might be a little ridiculous. But still, I'm, it's, it's 2021 or 2022, whenever this comes out. And it, I just can't not, I can't un, I can't not see it. I can't not see how fucking slow it is. It well, was I can't. glacial, but I, it is he. That is his thing. But I think he because he want because they spend so spent so much time and energy to get the exact right shot, to get the exact angle of the fucking this with the right lens and the light this way and the fucking put his dick down the other pants leg, like all <laughs> that shit's happening. And he wants you to see it, and he wants you to like like process that because. Kubrick his, originally was a photographer, which is, you know, kind of makes sense in a way. I mean, it makes sense to go from photography to film in, in, in some senses, but also just like every shot is incredibly carefully crafted. There's no uh, guesswork there. It's not like, oh, we'll just shoot this whole like, Everything, like, more, almost more thought has been shot, sent into how is this going to appear on the screen, mm-hmm. which I guess is the point of film. But like then... What's the, the story itself? Then what's the story we're telling per se? At least that's my impression from yeah. Well, there's a there's a position in film and in TV where the director of photography, whose entire job is the shot. Director a director does the whole thing, but director of photography is just can I? How does how does this look? What is the frame? What does it look like? Blah 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 blah. That's almost though more like operating the camera on filming day is almost a little bit more director of photography, even though they definitely are involved in all the rest of it too. But yeah, so here's a dumb question: What's a cinematographer then? Is that a different person? Is that the guy who has uh, two penises? The They're in the second unit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know that on credits when they get the second unit. Like, wow, that's impressive. He just <laughs> video. He records everything Christian Cinnamon does. Oh. Uh, what? 
the senator. Arizona oh. senator. <laughs> oh. Cinematographer. Man. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's. I don't actually know. I mean, I feel like I should know this, but I don't actually know. Yeah. That's yeah. I, don't, I actually don't Maybe care. they just run the, maybe it's like a fancy word for a cameraman, but I don't think it is. I'm, I, I actually have no idea. But yeah. Kubrick is, much, okay. is very much like a, how do I make this visually stunning, whether or not it contributes to the story. Apparently, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, because he like, gets obsessive about, about projects, he, did, he spent years researching Napoleon in order to write, in order to make a movie about Napoleon. He had this whole thing, tons and tons of research, this whole catalog of every single thing Napoleon did for every single day of his life, or at least since he, be, since he became a general and stuff like that. But in that like several years that Stanley Kubrick was researching Napoleon, a different movie about Napoleon from a different studio was written, shot, and then released to the public. And so no film, no film studio was going to buy a script from Stanley Kubrick about Napoleon because there just was a movie about Napoleon. It'd be a really weird movie. It would be very weird and a million <laughs> years long. Well, I just point out, I just looked it up. A cinematographer is also known as a director of photography. Oh, uh-huh. okay. All right. Um, yeah, but they're like much more like the technical side of. They, they are technical, the technical but, but it, is, like it is based on the, the director's a, vision. But there's a lot of aesthetic to it. Is yeah, but, but Kubrick was intimately involved in that. Like, if I, yeah. we might have talked about this on another time we did a Kubrick book, but Shining uh, or um, Clockwork Orange, even. But oh, yeah. Barry Lyndon, one of his less popular movies from 1975, where they like basically had to like they wanted to shoot everything with natural light, and it's a set in like you know Regency era England or something like that. So everything's candles, and he had to like they had to like basically adapt uh, lenses that NASA was using for like space things to shoot to their, have enough light. To, to, on the uh, film to, get to enough, shoot exactly. with only candles. Yeah. Which also, uh, another an interesting story about having enough light to uh, capture things. One of the miracles that Mother Teresa allegedly perpetrated. Uh, <laughs> she took a picture in the dark? Well, well to become her, one of her miracles, you have, to, you have to do three miracles to become a saint. And one of hers was when they were filming in her hovel of suffering in India in like the 1970s or something. Like her that. hostel dungeon? Well, I mean, it's like, her hospitals for the sick and dying where they had no medicine. They just prayed. They, and they were, were just like, you're going to die. <laughs> Suffering is good for the... Yeah, it was really absurd. Um, they shot. They were shooting a documentary and the guy shooting it was like, oh, this light is shitty in here because it's like a fucking, you know, 200-year-old building in India that has no windows. And they, the guy, the camera guy was like, oh, well, there's this new Kodak film that works in low light. So I'll use that. But they kind of forgot that part of the story. So one of the miracles is like when they wanted to film the documentary and Mother Teresa's thing, the Lord made the light <laughs> well enough for the camera to record it on film. And they go like, no, that was just, that was just, a, you could buy that on the shelf. Low light film. It's, it's, it's just a thing. Like, it's a miracle. No, nope, no, it's a miracle. Actually, it's science. Can I just say? Oh, yeah, no. It was science I mean, that did that. I mean, there's, there, there are still some miracles in science, like magnets. How the fuck do they work? But... <laughs> Clearly, this was not a miracle, but the church was like, no, no, she's, she's, she sells a lot, a lot of prayer cards, so pew, pew, right through. Motherfucking Teresa. So, so this Kubrick this, film, yeah. book. Both the book and the film. See, the, the book was, I felt, 70% sci-fi, where they do that thing where they have to describe 
every item around them and like, this is how this science thing works and the spaceship did this and the pens were from here because they do anti-gravity pens and it was just like, that's cool, man. But like after a while, I was like, this is too much. This is too much. If you are a science nerd, you love that shit. I actually love that shit. Yeah, yeah I do. Like they're it, really a, a, ton of, a ton of technical detail, scientific technical detail. I really like that. So it, it, it was okay. And this was not point. that long of a book. So no, it was like, it you know, I, I'm fine with, I'm totally fine with a bunch of that. And then the movie did all the exact same stuff, but instead of descriptions, it was just silence and orchestral music. Well, a picture says a thousand words. And like words. people... A thousand and, words, but none of them are tech specs. Yeah. <laughs> and women shrieking is like one of the main <laughs> musical themes. Yeah. There are only two. It's that one you know, and then women shrieking. Those are the two. The oh, two. Oh, the... Well, the music, there's, there's also, well, there's the Thus Spake Zarathustra or whatever. Dun, dun. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing of like it's the... A kill, it's a killer opening. And I'll then, give him that. And then there's the... Uh, and the space blue, ballet blue, one. Blue Danube Waltz in the circular room. I don't know how they shot that. I remember watching a documentary. I think they spin the camera. The set? No, no. The set rotated. Oh, they did? Okay. The camera stayed in place. The set actually rotated so that the guy was always... He was always facing down, you know? So the tent actually rotated. They made a giant hamster wheel. They did, yeah. And put Dave on it. Dave. Dave. This... Reading this and and watching the movie reminded me of my favorite Roger Ebert review of uh, it was of the Pearl Harbor movie that trash oh, yeah. Michael Bay one. He says this is a two hour movie squeezed into three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, that's excellent. <laughs> I was like, there's there's not a lot that actually happens no. in either of these, and yet it takes a long time. There's a lot of different dudes banging that one girl in. Uh, What's it called? Pearl Harbor. It was. It was uh, Ben Affleck he, and he said Josh it was, Hartnett both banged that same broad. He said it was a movie where ja- the Japanese attack an American love triangle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what it was. <laughs> and Cuba Gooding Jr. shoots down about a hundred Japanese uh, zero fighters because it's accurate. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. They wanted to feel nice. And then he was that movie where he's a scuba diver with one foot. What? <laughs> Cuba <laughs> not good footing. <laughs> <laughs> one good foot. <laughs> Was it Men of Honor? Oh, he was God, the first, yeah, the first yeah. black uh, Navy diver. With Robert De Niro, yeah, who kept calling him Cookie. That's yeah. <laughs> a fucking terrible movie. <laughs> oh he, my but God. it was a, it was a true story, I think. But yeah, then he lost so was his, Pearl Harbor. He lost his foot <laughs> in a rope accident. Oh, who who doesn't know a person who's done that? Those fucking Almost childhood everyone. rope incidences that just my cousin. Off my cousin used to work on boats, and he said that rope accident, like people die from that shit all the time. Like so, he saw. He didn't see it, but he knew guys that had been on a boat with uh, a guy who got pulled into the winch. Oh, God. And he like... just turned into not even hamburger, like liquid. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I remember him telling me about uh, lobster or yeah, crabs or lobsters biting your hand. He was a lobsterman, yeah. And uh, if you get the ones that have just sloughed off their exoskeleton, they're all like mushy. And then they'd bite you and you'd flick them off in frustration and pain and they'd explode. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is awesome. <laughs> Just add butter to that now. It's already chewed for you. <laughs> so I thought the book was, I mean, I've read it. I read the whole series years ago and I liked it because I, mean, I didn't really think too much about it. It was entertaining and it was short. It was probably like two days of reading. And you the know, whole series? I mean, this book. I probably oh, like because okay. I was just, like yeah. right on the train, you know, like going yeah. to work and coming home. Probably plowed through it in two days or so. 
depending on what I ate, how many poops I had. <laughs> and then I read the rest of the series. They get shittier and dumber. Like it's kind of cool, like in the second or third one, when that's like, oh, the space aliens are kind of like guiding humanity towards becoming an intergalactic power, space you know, shepherds. like that, like allowing people to explore the cosmos, kind of crap. This book doesn't really get to that. It's it's weird. It's just energy babies. Yeah, it's it's strange. I get that by itself. I mean, are they energy I, babies in the second one? No, that, I mean that guy comes back. So I don't remember the details very well. I, I, there's like one book where there's a guy whose job is like collecting asteroids and they take the water from. I don't know. It's like it's, it, it gets dumb and way more technical and not interesting for Oof. me. Just like into more like and here's you know the minutia of life in space. I'm a asteroid cowboy, that kind of <laughs> crap. Uh, but it was, I like the book. It's interesting. I, I, I think, you know, a test of science fiction is how hokey does it feel years after it came out. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of stuff from this time period, you know, the later 60s, is so fucking corny. It's, oh, yeah. And this yeah. wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad. Nope. I thought it, was it, w- it wasn't corny. It's just it had a short story's worth of plot. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it it it, it has the same kind of plot issues that every other '60s sci-fi book has. Where you're like, this is kind of dumb, and there's kind of too much, and you're getting very heady for a guy who just writes about aliens. But I think this is certainly better than than the vast majority of these kind of books, you know, sci-fi books from the '60s, and <laughs> certainly the best sci-fi novel based on a screenplay based on a short story that I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it that. Can't can't argue with that. <laughs> What'd you think, Nate? You're the big sci-fi expert, though. I thought it was fine. I thought, even though I like sci-fi a lot, the problems were with the plot. Lack thereof. The, the scientific details were great. Loved it. But the plot, a good book still needs a good plot, and this just didn't have it. It had, it, it had notes of a plot. That yeah. don't get flushed out for three more books, I guess. But it, I mean, I haven't read nothing the others. really happens. No, w- don't bother. I mean, it was still short, and I didn't mind it. So it was, it was whatever. It was short, but still too long. Yeah, look at Chode. <laughs> well, that's actually long. It's still too uh, wide. Short, but but yeah, it's never too wide, Nate. Uh, save that for the next book we do. Uh, <laughs> there were some wide ones in that one. Oh my god. Um, who should read it? Sci-fi people. Obviously, if you like science fiction, then it's a thing you should you should you should read. Um, if you watched the movie and you liked it, then go read it because it is very similar, but at least a little bit different. It's it, a takes a, it takes piece. about the same amount of time. It does, yeah. yeah. And so then it's fine. But if you were confused about the space baby, this explains about four percent more. About the space baby, you're going to be still 96 percent confused yes. by the space baby, but well, maybe a little bit less. Of the 96 percent of the of the universe, uh, space the, baby, the batter that we can't see or whatever what the fuck is that? That sounds like a Fallout you know Boy song. About. I you do. Know, yes. You know what I'm talking about? Or Panic at the Disco? Dark, uh, dark matter. Dark matter. Dark matter. Dark matter and dark energy. Dark that matter. That still sounds like a Panic at the Disco song. Yes. Isn't 96 percent of the universe the energy that we can't see? But like, but bump, certain bump, things are bump, spelt bump. wrong. <laughs> There's a uh, randomly placed uh, punctuation mark. You can't see letter C, uh, but they spell out 96. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, I'm pr- almost positive that this was it, 
on that thousand and one books you must read before you die. I'm list. certain it is. Makes sense. Absolutely, I believe it. But I, it is a it is a founding sci-fi classic. Easily, my, but it's one of those you know great, not great. Books. Golden mm. era, or is golden, golden era still the fifties? This is like the silver era. Yeah. Silver era, okay. But the guy who wrote it was a golden era guy. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one of the three. Maybe he gets grandfather. He's, he's on the, he's on the Mount Rushmore of sci-fi names, like him, Absolutely. Asimov, and Heinlein and Hubbard. <laughs> Bradbury, I would say. <laughs> but actually, I have like my, my personal beef with the thousand one books to read lists is that the those books that came out it does not have Fahrenheit four fifty one. And I think if you're going to read one sci-fi book, I'd, it should be that before you read 2001 Space Odyssey. It's such, yeah. a, it's such a light sci-fi aspect to it, though. It's more of a like a... But I think if, you like, if you're going to read it, if you're like, here, you should, here are the books you should read. The book that's yeah. about why you should read books, I think, should be on that list. Yeah. Agreed. That's my personal opinion. Would they have other Bradbury ones on there, but not this no. one? No. No Bradbury's None. on None. I mean, that's really the, that's the best one by far. Yeah. We've done yeah. a couple now, and they're really mm-hmm. not that great. I mean, I like them, but they're pretty. They my my, they're my not test on about hokiness. He fails. They're that not on anyone's thousand Very hokey. Books. Oh, especially at the end of the the circus one where they resolve the plot by singing "Oh Susanna." Yes, that's hokey. Hey, they also did a jig. <laughs> well, what's more upsetting is the other stories where they end it by singing like "Swanee" and they do things in blackface, and you're like, "Oh, this really didn't. Help. Oh, this didn't age well." <laughs> Jesus, Ray. But I think if you like, I agree. If you like sci-fi. It's a, it's a great book to read for that. And is it a great book that, like, if you, do, if you don't like sci-fi, you will not like this? No. Nor the movie. People like the movie. If you're I a think film they just, buff, they, they say like they, they like, like it. it. Maybe they don't. You feel like you need to like it because... It was fine. It was, I didn't dislike it, but I was like, all right, that was weird. It's just got a couple of really iconic things. Yeah. Like, I was mostly impressed by... I, I thought Star Wars was the first one to do that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, no. He did it like 10 years earlier. No, I mean, he, they did it more, but he did it pretty pretty damn well. He was super innovative. I mean, how much, how much zero-G was really in Star Wars, though? I mean, just like the shooting ships in space. Shooting, zero, shooting scenes where the people are in zero-G is so expensive and difficult that they only did it a tiny bit, even in 2001. And I don't think they did it ever in Star Wars. I, I can't... I'm, I don't, I don't think they did. I don't think there's any in Star they Wars. They never do it in Star Trek because, like... Oh, they just say artificial gravity. That's a TV like, oh, okay. budget, not even a movie budget. So they really don't have the budget for that. Yeah, they just jumble together a bunch of words. Thank goodness for the Doppler uh, kerfuffle. And you're like, oh, thank yeah. <laughs> Use a tachyon pulse. Yeah. There you go. That resolves every plot, yeah. Have you ever seen Star Wars where the stormtrooper hits his head on the door? That's my fucking oh, yeah. favorite yeah. goof in that movie. In when... They did one of the reissues of the first Star Wars movie where, where in that particular bullshit. shot, instead of, instead of trying to hide the stormtrooper banging his head on the thing, they added a boop sound. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it, go, it still goes by really quickly, but if you, these are, you know, the 90s, the 2000s, re, re, the corpse of Star Wars. reissues. Yeah, actually, if you look at that, instead of ignoring it, they actually just add a boop. It's the only thing you should have changed. Drawing They're all more. all three are exactly the same except the boop. That I I'd be for it. All yeah. the crap they had was terrible. Um, yeah, I think if you dig sci-fi, you should check it out. But in the meantime, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail and follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. And we never mentioned on this episode, but we do have a Patreon if you want to support the podcast. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub where you can help us out there. And uh, 
And by this point, surely, you can head over to DrunkGuysBookClub.com if you're interested in buying some obnoxious merch with our stuff on it. And you can also give us a review wherever you are. Just give us five units of measurement out of five units of measurement. One for every time that they say the word space in this book, minus 12,000. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.